Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome once again to the Top 5 at 5. So thrilled to have Paul Harris with us today. Um, we've had a really good conversation already so far, so we'll bring you into that. Um, and, and Paul, um, we're, of course, going to talk about your stocks. But um, but first, I do want to get your overview of what's going on in the world today. I just think it's so critical to kind of put everything into perspective because we've seen these markets decline and decline and, you know, NASDAQ and bear market territory. So how are you looking at the world top down? Well, so I think that... Um... I mean, I think obviously there's this tremendous amount of volatility and that's going to go on. And I think prior to what happened with, with the Ukraine and Russia, I think the volatility was going to be the Fed, whether they're going to go 25 or 50 or all these other things. And, and, and also the meeting after, after they either when they raised rates and, you know, their vision going forward. So I think that was going to be the volatile period anyways. But I think this the issue with the Ukraine created a lot of other volatility around commodities, uh, you know, uh, around sanctions and all these things. But I will say one thing I find interesting about what's happened with this U.S., the Ukraine and Russia is that I've never seen, like, yes, obviously there's political sanctions and all these people do this, but I've never seen companies step up and say, we're not doing things in Russia anymore. You know, Visa, MasterCard, Netflix, Google, all these people, it's, it's been unheard of, I don't think, for companies yeah. to make decisions like this. So it's very interesting to me from that social aspect that people are, companies are under pressure to, to make these changes. And I think companies like McDonald's even will sometime will have to make do something in the next little while. So I think that's the one of the interesting parts about it. I think the other thing is it comes back- Well, I wanna to stop you there for, I wanna stop you there for one second um, because somebody else actually mentioned this to me yesterday, that exact yeah. comment, how, you know, it's so interesting to see these big corporations saying no more, not doing it. LVMH, I believe, right? Yeah. No yeah. more in Russia. Um, why is that, like, what, what should we take away from this? Why is it interesting well, I, to you? It's interesting to me because I think that it's it's the motivation for those things are not like uh, are are very different than you know the U.S. saying we're going to cut you out of SWIFT, right? which is something that they can do. But the motivation for those things are coming from their the view that this is companies have a have a obligation, a social obligation that you probably didn't see many many years ago to act in a social way and deal with these issues because it it affects not only uh, you know, that the company specifically, but it also affects the people that use that company other in other parts of the world, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in North America, whether it's in Japan or China, they have a vision of your company. And if you're not, if you're not presenting that in a social, in a social aspect of that company, I think it really hurts you. So I think that's what's going on around the world where all these companies are realizing, oh my goodness, I have a responsibility to act in a social way with respect to how I want to look at the world. And if I'm not doing that, my clients are probably going to be very upset. And I think that's a trend that's happening around the world. And I think that's very important to see that how these companies are reacting. I've, you know, I've, I've been in this business for a long time, but I also, I've just never seen something like this. It's amazing to me mm. that, you know, Kushtart says, well, I'm not going to do anything in, in Russia. Like, it's just unbelievable. And how it's happening very, very quickly, right? So now saying all that, that it hurts the Russian people a lot. 
but I think it's a statement to say well, this is not you're not you're not doing the right thing. You're not acting yeah. in a responsible fashion. You're you know so we, you need to treat the world differently if you want to be a part of the world. Uh, I think the other interesting thing that's gone on it's 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 really brought you know the kind of liberal democracies together and Europe and 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 the United States together, which you were I think they were kind of you know they had always good better relationships with Biden, but I think they were strained. I think that's happening, and it brings to the issue about which is very important and which we've always talked about in this country is that energy security is very important. And so I think this is kind of, you know, which has its implications for the Paris Accord, because I don't think you're meeting them given the issues you're facing now. Right. But I think right. that it's, it brings to the issue, the forefront about energy security, how are you going to deal with energy, all these other things. And, you know, and I think that's really important because, you know, we've talked about it in this country for years about, mm -hmm. you know, energy security, but people sort of, oh, well, the world's a better place. We're not going to think about this stuff. So I think that's really important. Those are the things that have come out of this stuff. So I think you're going to continue to see volatility. I think you're going to see volatility until March 16th, at least when the Fed makes their decision on how they're going to go. But I think the bigger issues that you face right now is that you are having slower growth in the world because of this. And you can see that from the yield curve in the United States, the 210 is almost inverting, close to inverting. Mm. And I think that tells you that the economy is slowing down and in, a, in an environment where you're raising rates and you have high inflation, so so what you have is probably stagflation for the next little while. And um, so I think that's the big issue that you're facing in the economy. Now, I mean, parts of inflation will go away; it's just a natural thing that you know prices will fall and stuff like that. But I think that you you're going to go through a period where you you have stagflation, and the Fed really is in a very awkward situation where they can make a mistake. And I think that's yeah. the bigger issue, right? They're, they're very you know, they're treading the needle or whatever you want to call it, but the, the gap is very narrow. And whatever they do, they'll have to pick one of these topics, whether they're going to say we want growth or whether we want lower inflation. And I, I assume they go with lower inflation, but but I think that's what you're going to have is you. So in other words, going... you, in other words, if you think they're going to pick inflation over growth, you're going to you're saying that they're going to raise rates versus keeping yeah. rates lower, bond purchases going, let's kind of try to stimulate the, the economy. And that that's the big debate right now. Yes, I think that's the big debate. I think that they have to, they kind of have to kind of pick one of those, one of those things because they can't do both. And so I think they pick inflation and, you know, and probably if they don't get it right, push us into a, a, a maybe a recession, but a short recession, a recession nonetheless, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the, the, the bond, the, the bond market is basically telling you that, right? I mean, I, I, usually yeah. you don't have a, you don't have a flat or a curve that's so flat going into uh, an increasing yield in uh, interesting rate environment, right? So mm. I think that's what's happening. So I think that that's mm -hmm. the difficult part about how what's going on right now. Um, yeah. But I, but I think there's more volatility to come. And I think what you have to do as an investor, and if you want to be a long-term investor, is say, what companies do I like, you know, and what well, valuation do I like, and make sure that you've done some work on them. And this is a great opportunity to buy those companies, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's what I think is important about volatility. People always get scared of it, but it's your friend, actually. It allows you to do the things that you want to do as an investor and buy companies at a cheap valuation. And I think that's yeah. what people forget about it. They get scared of it because it's, it's, it's scary, right? But you have to think, okay, I've loved this company. Is anything really changed? And you know, are they a great business? Do they have great free cash flow? All those things. And then you know, make that decision because I think that's when you really make money in the stock market is when you take opportunities like this to buy great businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I've got my eye on a few. Um, okay. 
but I'm not buying them yet for sure. But but let's talk about a couple of names. Your your top five at five today. Um, I want to start with Disney. Uh, and, and what, give us an update too, in terms of the stock performance lately, just given, you know, concerns surrounding attendance. And of course, if we've got higher inflation, people will be less uh, able to afford to go to Disney World or Disneyland. Right. So, so, so absolutely. So people talk about all kinds of things with Disney, but really the parks make them a lot of money, right? So, so I, I guess my view is that, um, you know, the parks will open up, it'll be busier. You already started in the last quarter where the numbers were better. Uh, you know, Disney has such a great brand and that specific age group. So I think people who are gonna travel will probably go to Disney. Maybe they're not gonna go on a boat, but they're gonna go to their parks uh-huh. and continue to visit their parks. So I think that's one thing. I think people have, you know, Disney Plus has been a, by any stretch of the imagination, it has been an incredible asset that they've developed doesn't make a lot of money right now, but it's certainly fantastic. The last thing is, you know, where I think you're going to get a lot of uh, uh, an increase in their revenue is also they've got a lot of blockbuster movies coming out over the next little while that were kind of put on the back burner. And they're actually probably going to go to theaters as opposed to going to going to streaming right away. So I think that they've got a great brand. I think that I, I, I really like what management did when they saw COVID come along, they did absolutely the right thing. They cut their dividend. They said, you know what? We're cutting our dividend to zero. And I think that shows you that management is thought provoking. They understand their business. You know, they try to cut their cost as much as possible. They did all the right things in my view for a company in a tourism area, in the tourism uh, business, uh, you know, to kind of shut down the businesses that's going to hurt them and grow the business that they could. Right. So, so my perspective is management has been very strong. I think they, they are really, when we come out of this, this pandemic, they're going to benefit from that a great deal because people want to travel and it's such a great place to go. So I think that's what's going to help them. You know, obviously inflation is a big issue. I think they probably have a lot better pricing power than people think. So I think mm. that they will actually benefit from kind of a higher inflation. Um, and, you know, if you're going to do one trip a year, maybe it's going to be Disney and you're going to pay for whatever you want to because you're kids will be screaming it to get on to get the Disney princesses yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I do think that that, you know, there's a lot of issues, but I think Disney is can come out of this stronger and more powerful than it was before. Right. Well, and Paul, I, w- I wonder as well, you know, with what's going on with Ukraine and Russia and, you know, I don't know that that's going to get solved anytime soon. It's almost as though the world has become much smaller because of geopolitical tensions. In other words, you know, where are you going to travel? If you maybe were were going to travel to Europe, maybe you're just, you know, you're going to go to Disney World um, instead. So I guess um, I'm going to have to personally go and look at where they have all their parks and and just kind of see, does that make, does that theory and thesis make sense that people are going to stay in their own backyards and and go there? Yeah. So I think that that is a possibility. A lot of Americans actually you know, go, you know, when they get their vacation, actually go in the United States, because that's one of the big issues with oil being so, gasoline being so expensive. They actually, in the summertime, they, they kind of go across the United States, a lot of them, right? So, so that's a big issue, but I actually yeah. believe that. I think you're going to get a lot of benefit and people want to travel. And so they will start to use these places. And I think you saw that in their last quarter's numbers, where you saw the park business actually, you know, jump a, a fair bit, right? So I think that's, and, you know, I, whether you like it or not, it's a great brand and they've got, they've got, you know, great assets. And I think they can, those assets will become more valuable down the road. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at another one in the medical equipment side of the business uh, or industry, Stryker. Right. So Stryker is a medical technology company, effectively. They make, uh, 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 re- they do needle placement, 
spine, hips. They bought a company called Wright Medical just before the pandemic, uh, which did our uh, ankles and our hands. So, uh, so one of the beauties of this business is that uh, that people forget about this is that the person, the salespeople, are actually a lot of times are in the in the in the operating room helping them. So what's happened with this is elect, they're all elective surgeries. They may not be elective to the person that needs them, but the, <laughs> but the hospitals consider them elective. So they're elective surgeries and all elective surgeries because of COVID were shut down predominantly o- over the last two years. So there's a huge backlog of surgeries that have to happen. That's the first thing. So, there's, you know, so they'll, they're going to get a lot more uh, revenue growth in the next several years as, as, uh, as surgeries catch up. That's the first thing. The second thing is that because people, uh, it's a really uh, intensive sales process for salespeople because they have to learn about how to use these products. Not all doctors know, oh, you have to turn it this way or that way, whatever, right? So that's one thing. So they've had a time to help people with this right medical acquisition. So they, they're up to speed on, on the sales side. The next thing is that it's a real demographic play in my view, because people are getting older. They need hip, uh, knee surgery, spine surgeries. They're all very important because it gives the quality of life so much better and keeps them off drugs, which is one of the big issues mm. that people were having before. The other thing, is, it's, it, to me, it's a bit of an annuity. And, I, and the reason is that if you're a surgeon and you use one of Stryker's products, you don't switch to somebody else's product the next time you're doing a surgery. You tend to have to understand how to use those products. So you spend a lot of time with them. So there's a tendency for surgeons to use the same products all the time. So I think that from that perspective, you have this kind of revenue growth that's going to happen over the next little while. You have really strong free cash flow growth. I think they're going to throw up about $3.3 billion in free cash flow uh, uh, this year. They've got a 1.1% dividend yield. Um, so, and mm. so I think there's a great opportunity in the stock. It's run by a Canadian, actually. Hmm. Uh, so who's, uh, I can't remember his, his last name's Lobo, but he, uh, okay. he runs the company. Yeah, but so it's done, it's done really well. I think there's a great opportunity for it to, to look at the company right now. So um, just a follow-up question. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, PE ratio to be about 47 times. This is not a cheap stock. Right, so I think that it's, uh, it's trading uh, on next year's earnings about 28 times. So I mean, it's, not, it's not cheap in the sense that, uh, um, you know, th- they had a, depressed earnings over the last little while because of the fact that they couldn't do a lot of these surgeries, right? So I think that earnings will accelerate in next year, the year after, this year and next year, actually, because a lot more, uh, they're going to see a lot more um, revenue growth and they've got all these other products that they can bring to market over the next little while from the right medical, um, you know, cross-sell a lot of those products. So I do think you're absolutely right. On, on present earnings, it's, it's very, it seems expensive, but on next year's earnings and the year after, it's actually a lot cheaper because they're gonna have this acceleration in revenue growth over the next little while. Okay, let's take a look at a tech company. Of course, tech shares have been um, getting hammered over the past number of days. Um, Checkpoint Software, uh, down 1.42 today. PEs 22 times. Um, what's the thesis on this? So Checkpoint Software is a cybersecurity security company, cybersecurity, as you know, you know, and Google just bought a cybersecurity company today, right? Um, so cybersecurity is becoming a very important thing. You saw a lot of hacking going on. And even with this Russian thing, they've talked a lot about this all over the world. The United States is almost spending almost uh, three quarters of a billion dollars on uh, um, uh, on um, 
uh, on, on upgrading cybersecurity. And so it's, it's a very big issue. I think it's a, a secular trend that's going to happen in the tech world that your cybersecurity is, is very, very important, not only for a company like me, but for many, many companies, right? So you have an obligation on that side. So that's the first thing. The stock has had a difficult time because one, they're coming out with a bunch of new products and they're also moving to what they call a SaaS model, software as, as a service model. And so you've had this kind of transition over the last little while where the earnings have been sort of very uh, volatile and the stock was trading at close to you know, 15 or 16 times earnings a little while ago where you could have bought it. And today, I think it was, it's at 140 or something like that. So, so I think that you know, one, cybersecurity is gonna to continue to grow. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Israeli company that trades in New York. So, yeah. um, right? so, so cybersecurity is gonna grow. Uh, a big, big revenue growth there. They're moving from from a kind of more the SaaS model, which is it, it, I think is probably about eighty percent there over the next little while. So you're going to see maybe a couple of next quarter to uh, you know a little jumpy in re in the revenue side and earnings. And I think that um, they have no debt. They've got lots of good free cash flow growth because of this. So I think it's a great area to be in, a big area in technology to be in. I think there's going to be more M&A in that area as well, uh, because I think cybersecurity is one of the primary things that are that that uh, companies are looking at, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Google with their purchase. So, so I think it's it's an important area, and even these guys are all called to the White House to talk about cybersecurity, right? So it's a very uh, important thing, especially what's going on with Russia right now, where they talk a lot of, mm -hmm. about cybersecurity. And that's one of the reasons why I think the stock's done well of late in the last two months. It's probably outperformed. It definitely outperformed mm -hmm. the market, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Let's take a look at a financial bank of America. Um, right. The banks have also gotten hit lately. Yeah. It's, so, you know? I, you know, I've loved bank of America for a long time. So, um, so but what I, so the thesis on the banks are, are to me very simple in the United States. One is they're overcapitalized. So they either have to do two things and they're allowed to do buy back their shares or increase their dividends. The payout ratio in Bank of America is about 21%. You look at the payout ratio in TD Bank, even it's closer to the 40. So there's an opportunity for one for them to buy back their shares or increase their dividends. Uh, I think Bank of America has a tendency to buy back shares because they issued a lot of shares in 2008, you know, with all that stuff. So there's a tendency for them to do that more. But I think, you know, dividends are going to continue to grow. They're going to buy back their shares. It's not trading at a huge multiple at 1.2 times book. It's trading at 12 times earnings. Um, and you get a really nice dividend yield on it. So about 2.4%. So, so I think that one, you know, you may go into a recession and all those things, but there's not, you, you didn't have the scary part of 2020 in March. That's not, that's not the scenario that people are looking at. So you may go into a slight recession. Yeah, that's one thing. Captain, you worked in the investment industry. You know that volatility in that area is really fantastic for these guys because they're trading around all kinds of things and they make lots of money in volatility. So, so that that will be helpful for them on the investment banking side. The only thing yeah. I would say, the only thing I would say is where there is a little bit of probably less growth is probably on M&A because there's really big M&A year last year and on new pu public issues, given the volatility of the stock market, this quarter is not going to bring a lot of IPOs, right? So maybe you'll, you'll see the second half be more IPO based. So I think that, that that's why you want to own these things, right? I mean, the yield curve will affect Bank of America a lot more because it's a very hard, large retail franchise. So yeah. you will, you may not, you know, if you have a nice steep yield curve, it's great for them. Given the way the yield curve is today, it probably doesn't benefit them as much. But saying all that, net interest income, which is a big part of their revenue, it's much more stabilized today than it was 
in 2008 and, you know, I'm sorry, 2020, 21. Mm -hmm. So there's a stabilization in that. So to me, that gives you a strong base. And then, you know, you can do all these other things. So, and I think Bank of America has not been, you know, everybody loves Jamie Dimon. And, right. and, and, and Monaghan, the guy who runs Bank of America, is always sort of second fiddle, but he's done a fantastic job with the bank, right? He really mm. has. And when I look at the numbers, I think it certainly can be a 50 to $55 stock very easily, maybe even more, 60 bucks. So, uh, so I don't think it's an expensive stock in, in my view. Yeah. And I think it's a great chance to buy it here. And, and you get this kind of benefit of all these things happening at the bank. And the credit quality has been fantastic, right? So mm. credit has been great there. So, so I think that that's why I'd like to, I think Bank of America is a great story at all these levels. Okay. No, that, you know, it's interesting. I think that, you know, the, the banks, especially, you know, one that has such a large retail component to it, they're really trading off of what's going on in the risk environment right now. Yeah. Lower yields, people are buying treasuries. So it's all about the net interest margin. Um, right. But, you know, so, so it might be a good opportunity to, to get in. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of these things, I mean, you know, Goldman, you worked at Goldman. So Goldman actually doesn't look like a bad, op, you know, we own Bank of America. I can't own every one of these things, but you know, even Goldman looks like a great opportunity at these levels, right? Even if you cut, yeah. their, even if you cut their earnings in half, they're still trading at about eight or nine times earnings, right? So, so to wow. me, these are great opportunities that you have to look for. And that's what I'm trying to say that when I, at the beginning of the conversation, you, if you go to your work, these are, this is the time where you pick up all these companies really cheap yeah. because the world will be better and then everything will just pop, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, let's take a look at your last one. First Service. Right. So First Service is a Canadian company. I've loved this company for years and years and years. Uh, people may not know them as much. They're, they What they do, they're a, I guess they fall into the real estate bucket, but they're really much more of a real estate service company. So they manage um, uh, properties and take care of the properties. So gated communities, United States apartment buildings, et cetera. That's one part of their business. The other part of their business is a franchisee business. And you may know like California Closets is one of their businesses, right? Paul Davis is one of their businesses. So they've, they've got this franchise business and they've got this property management business. And, and so what they've done in their business, which, which is fantastic, is they grow organically, you know, three to 5%, and then they do these tuck on acquisitions. And they've always been able to grow 10 to 15% over a period of time. It started off uh, as a pool cleaning company and it's kind of grown their business over the years. Mm. It's asset mm -hmm. light. They don't have a lot of capital expenditure. Um, and although they're very large, kind of from a market share perspective, one of the biggest players, the market is much larger and there's lots of mom and pops. So people who cut lawns and all these other things, and they slowly take over some of these smaller businesses and kind of, you know, can grow them. And so it's really been a great business. It's, the stock has fallen a lot over the last little while. I think it's a great opportunity. Management has been fantastic. They've executed incredibly well. Um, and and they've, they've done a great job of either growing the franchise business or growing the, the property management business, right? And I think that they continue to uh, be able to execute very well. And I think, it, you know, it's a high multiple stock in Canada and people, when it falls like this, people get worried and it falls like this because of volatility. But to me, this is a great opportunity to buy this company. I, I continue to mm. see it grow over the next little while. And so it's very unique Canadian business, right? Jay Hennick yeah. is the guy. Jay Hennick is the guy that started it, uh, you know. And and like I said, he used to clean pools in summers, and then he sort of started from there to grow this business, which has been fantastic. It's primarily also the wonderful other thing about it is that the vast majority of their business is in the United States, which so you're kind of playing the growth, uh, you know, e economic growth in the U.S. and 
And, um, and they continue to kind of expand slowly but surely every year they buy something either on the franchise side or on the, on the property mm -hmm. management side and they slowly grow and they've done a fantastic job of doing that. And what's the valuation on this? Well, so it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a cheap stock. I mean, Trace at about 30 times earnings. It's got a very low dividend of about 0.6. But, but I think that it's always been expensive. You've never been able to buy it cheap. I think at this point in time, you may be able to get it at a, at a cheap. Uh, uh, I don't the valuation hasn't changed that much, but, you know, it may mm -hmm. change a little bit. But, but I think you can buy it, at, buy it at these levels. I think you'll do very well over the long term on it. And I think that what people forget about this company is because they do these acquisitions and they're so good at them, they're able to integrate them very well. They're not massive acquisitions where it destroys their balance sheet or anything like that. They're very specific about how they think about it, what they pay for it and all those other mm -hmm. things, that they are accretive very quickly. So, so when they do these things, it really works out for them, right? And they're always constantly looking for them. And if they come to a level where people call them up nowadays to say, oh, can you buy me something like that? Mm -hmm. so, so it's a great, uh, it's good growth potential because they're, like I said, mm -hmm. there are still lots of market share to grow, right? So it's not, a, yeah. it's not, it's never, I don't think it's ever been a very, like you've never been able to buy it at 10 or 15 times, or maybe when it first came public, you know, years and years ago, but not, not recently. So, but I and, do think it's it, a great company. And it trades uh, on the, uh, on the NASDAQ uh, ticker FSV, Frank Sam Victor. As well. And Toronto. So, do you tend to buy it on Toronto? I guess it just depends on your clients. Yeah, money. I, I tend to, I tend to buy it in Toronto. Uh, I think okay. Toronto is a little bit more liquid than the uh, than okay. the thing. And then, obviously, Checkpoint, although it's an Israeli company, trades in on the Nasdaq. It's very liquid. All these companies yeah. are very liquid to buy, right? Yeah, first absolutely. Is, first, first service is a little less liquid because you know management owns a large chunk of the amount of it. But, okay. Um, but but it's less liquid. But I, you know, if you if you're going to buy hundred thousand shares, you may have to take your time. But I think it, anything else would be fine. And no dividends. Oh, it does pay a dividend. It's very small. It's 0.6. Okay. Uh, you know, okay. but, uh, so it's not, not a big dividend, but, but I think you're buying it because you kind of have this kind of internal growth engine that constantly comes along. Right. And growth Got it. Okay. Paul, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you. Thank thank you. you. Thanks for amazing. all the great ideas and insights. Won thanks. Wonderful. Wonderful to see you again.